hopefully you've noticed the theme in our worship of Jesus. Um, I'm teaching about unity in Ephesians 4, but it would be a huge mistake for us to sing about unity. Because unity is a side effect of what brings us together in common, Jesus being primary in that. So we're going to talk about that. Well, 500 years ago, something significant happened in church. Uh, For 1,500 years, 1,500 years, there had been one church. Doesn't matter where. One Catholic church. In the sense of what the word means, Catholic, true, genuine. Now we know it as Roman Catholic, which is, uh, denotes a denomination. Before it was ever denomination, it was just the Catholic church, the true church. But 500 years ago, in fact, this past week, 500 years ago, uh, a man by the name of Martin Luther was banished from the church in uh, the Diet of Worms, however German way you might say that. Um, he was banished. And thus began this new movement, the Protestant movement, that separated from the Catholic Church. In fact, it wasn't until the 1960s that the Catholic Church recognized that there was even such a thing as a church outside of the Catholic Church. That didn't happen until the 1960s. Uh, so you and I, according to the Roman Catholic Church, prior to the 1960s, were deemed uh, condemned because we had left the church. So, so something significant happened, and this is the 500th year anniversary of that. And so what we know as normal was anything but uh, for most of the church history. And so it's interesting that as we look at that, as we come to this passage in Ephesians 4, where we talk about unity and the unity of the church. In fact, you're going to find that this is kind of the point of the book of Ephesians. Uh, In fact, all Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is talking about what God has done to create the church. Why should we rejoice in this concept, this thing called the church? What's special about it? That it was planned since before the foundation of the world. It was God's dream that we've been elected, we've been predestined to be a group of people gathered under the name of Jesus Christ in which God's hope and His Uh, And the work of Jesus on the cross is to break down every earthly barrier, every hostility between the people groups and unite them all in Jesus Christ and this colony of heaven called the church. One day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and all of the world will be united under the name of Jesus Christ. And so... He brings out all that Jesus has done to accomplish that and the fact that this has been even looked at in spiritual authorities, looked at and wondered at, uh, that us just being together, worshiping together, uh, and in fact, when we worship together, despite our differences, makes it even more noteworthy to the world and more uh, praising and glorifying to God. So the more diverse... 
a group of people are that's tied by Jesus Christ, the greater God gets glory. So just consider that for a second. And so we come to the the pivot point in chapter 2, 3, where he says, because we are God's household, because we belong to one another, let us pray that the love of God would be rooted in our heart, that it would saturate who we are, that would be strengthened in our inner man, that we might understand how great the, the height and depth, breadth, width of God's love is for us, that we would be captured by God's love. So that it will have effect in how we deal with one another. And that's where we come to chapter 4. Therefore, therefore, because of this, let's walk worthy of that calling. And so when he talks about what does it mean to walk worthy of the calling that God has given to us, in chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, he addresses first and primary unity. Because of all that God has done... To walk worthy, the first thing we do is walk unified in Christ. And so he begins at that point to talk about how that happens. How that happens. And so we uh, looked at last time we were together, uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and so today we're going to look at 4, 5, and 6. Uh, so we're going to move a little slow in this. Uh, but we're going to read together verses 1 through 6 as we look at how Unity happens. And so let's just stand together as we read uh, Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. So last week, as we looked at this, we considered how Paul is a prisoner for the Lord and talked about as he writes this, he's in prison directly because of his belief and teaching that Jews and Gentiles were united in Christ. And the Jews didn't like that, put them in prison. So when he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, I'm speaking on behalf of unity, he's directly saying, I have paid the price, I have surrendered my liberties to ensure liberty our unity in this church. A prisoner for the Lord urged you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so we looked at last week how uh, as a church we, we walk and we live knowing the value of unity, that this is walking in this way in the manner worthy, thinking about this. And in verse 2, we look at how we live with the values that encourages unity. With the values. What are the values that encourages unity? Humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another in love. Now those are not easy, are they? Uh, but that is exactly what God is saying. These are the principal parts of what it means to walk together and to help encourage unity. These characteristics need to be there. Fortunately, they are the characteristics of Jesus himself. And the spirit of Jesus is in us, teaching us this. And then, verse 3, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so we live accordingly, working diligently, speedily for the unity. And the the point of this is that we saw that this is a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, it's already in existence. We don't create the unity. God establishes the unity. All we do is maintain it and work to maintain it. That's hard enough. That's hard enough to work to maintain (laughs) unity that God himself has created. So how is it that God has created unity? What is it that unifies us? And that takes us now to verse 4, 5, and verse 6. Is what has God done to bring us together? Well, there's that's where we get one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of us all. Now, I want to say one of the things that we did in this Easter season is we looked at Jesus' prayer in John 17. Put your finger in Ephesians 4. We're going to obviously spend time, but go to John 17. I want you to remind you once again what we looked at, what Jesus prayed for when. He was with the disciples for the last night in the, in the communion setting, the last supper. And he was about to go to the garden of Gethsemane. One of the last things he said. <clears throat> verse 22. He's praying to the Father on behalf of us, those who would come to faith because of the disciples. That's us. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them. That they may be one at, even as we are one. So he's praying for a unity of the people that, that follow him that is the same as the unity of the Father and the Son. We're referring to the Trinity here, the Holy Spirit. I and them, and you and me. How is it that Jesus is in us? By the Holy Spirit. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together, bring us together. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. All right? So it has something to do with the Trinity, our unity. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So what I want you to understand is that Jesus is praying that there would be a unity in the church that would come from the disciples that is of the same unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. That just that if you study the unity of the Holy Spirit and the, and the Father, Son, the Trinity working together, it, it blows your mind that, that Jesus is asking for that. So how does it happen? I believe this is where Paul comes in, and he's explaining that, which I need. I need a little explaining. So that's uh, where we get to verse 4, 5, and 6. And what I want you to notice is the role of the Trinity. You see this in verse 4? One body, one spirit. All right, just as you're called to the one hope that belongs to your, your call. He starts with the Holy Spirit. These are the one attribute, the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 5, you guys see God the Son, the Lord. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That comes from God the Son. Verse 6, God the Father. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to bring out the Trinity... And I'm going to start with the Spirit, then the Son, and the Father to show how all three establish us together and create a unity in a church. All right? 
Now, why does he start with the Spirit, not the Father? Because every time you see, you know, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Why does he start with the Spirit? Because he starts where we're at. He starts where we are at. We are at the, the object of the Holy Spirit's working. So all that we know of God the Father and God the Son happens because of God the Spirit working upon us. He is the agent through whom the Father and Son is working to create us. We cannot be a body, we cannot be a church apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, you see this, uh, and if, just write down Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. These are two passages that speak to the fact that we are uh, in Christ because we have the Holy Spirit. We are the church because we have the Spirit of God in us. If we don't have the Spirit of God in us, we can't be the church. It's just fundamental, necessary ingredient to make it happen. It's, trying to, it's kind of like trying to make a, a, a cake without eggs, all right? You can have some variety, but if you don't have the eggs in there, it just doesn't work. Or you change out some other flour. It is a necessary ingredient for us to be the church. Okay, Uh, And so that's why he starts with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son and the Father. And so that's where he goes now to the Son, who creates the work and enables it to happen, and then the Father who decrees it. All right? A little heady. But the Christian faith is a little heady, all right? So there's going to be some, some mental aspects of this. So let's, let's go into this one by one now. And so let's look at verse 4. There is one body. Biblical unity is built upon the truth that there is one body. Now the thing is that we try to do, we tend to do now, is that we liken church to all the various other organizations that have this thing called membership. Have you ever thought about the word Membership. What does that imply? A member? That means that you belong to a body. If you think about just the literal meaning of the word, it was a member of a body. I would just present to you, biblically speaking, that the only way you can have a membership is if you have a body. Which means it's living. It's not an organization, it is an organism. All right. So if it's just merely an organization then technically you can't have a body or a member. So I'm just kind of getting semantics here, but I want us to think through it because the problem is is that we liken expectations of social organizations to the church. And we think, okay, if I uh, make my commitment to this organization, then I'm entitled to certain benefits that come to me from that organization. And so we have that mentality that as long as I do my part, then the organization is to do their part. That's how everything works, right? For the most part. But that's not the church. And we often kind of impose upon it the same expectations that we see in everything else, thinking that the church is everything else. And it's not. It is utterly unique. There is nothing else like it. There is this idea of interdependence that we have. We see this in chapter 2 and chapter 3 when he talks about that we're members of one another. In fact, you see this, this body uh, metaphor that Paul uses. It's his favorite one for the church. Uh, in chapter 2, he likened it unto a building. Uh, he likened it uh, into a, a person, uh, a body. I likened it into a, a nation, citizens. But the one he see, that you see him repeating over and over is a church called the body. You see this in chapter 1. Notice in verse 22 and 23. 
He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. You see this in chapter 2, verse 16. Might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the body theme is the most uh, favored one by Paul as he describes who we are as a church. And so if that's true, then we are interdependent on one another, that we are living. If we're living, then ministry is our focus, not maintenance. If we're a body, then ministry is our focus. Not maintenance. Now, I would uh, bring one comparison. The fire department. Um, there are some separations between the church and the fire department, uh, as we'll see. But I lived uh, for about seven years, or six years, across the street from a volunteer fire department. Uh, it was always fun. You know, uh, these guys... Uh, some of you guys are, we have a few fire department, uh, firemen in our church, our former firemen. Uh, we know them. And uh, they love their work. You ask any fireman, I've yet to meet a fireman that said they didn't love their work. Uh, because it's, it's so much more than just a job. It becomes a, a group of, of people that they belong to one another to some degree. Uh, and you'll see, uh, I remember seeing the guys in the volunteer fire department, they'd have the stickers on their, their backside. Some guys on their backside of the car, they would uh, get the, the lights. Someone would put a row of lights on them. Someone would put some sirens on or something like that, you know. Uh, and, and they would just get into it and they would enjoy it. And then they would have meetings uh, about, uh, about firework. And they would meet together, they would do fundraisers for the firework, and they would wash the vehicles uh, and, and get the right equipment for the firework, but uh, fire uh, uh, tools. And so, can you imagine though, at some point, though, that uh, they are so busy taking care of the equipment, and the calls come, and they say, I'm sorry, we can't answer that, we are washing the fire truck. I mean, just, something's lost in the, in the organization, right? They've lost their purpose. In other words, their, their focus isn't so much of the maintenance as ultimately the maintenance is only there to do the work. The work drives it. So as a, a church, we need to keep in mind that the mission of our church is the primary importance, not just the maintenance of our programs and buildings and facilities. These we do, we work on to maintain so that we can accomplish a mission. And we must be driven by that. And so in a body, ministry is the primary focus, not maintenance. And that's one of the things we've got to watch out for in our budget sometimes, is to make sure how is our resources driven to the ministry of the body. And so if this is the case, we keep on reading that of, of one body, we also belong to one another. We, when someone's hurt, we as a church are hurt. We'll talk about that more later on. Let's keep on reading. Not only are we one body, biblical unity is built upon the truth that there is one body, but also biblical unity is built upon the truth that there is one spirit. One spirit. Uh, that's one thing you see that is somewhat different uh, than the fire department. The fire department, there's, there is a desire. Everyone enjoys the call. They enjoy the work of putting out fires and saving people's lives. 
But it is something that is kind of brought upon them. When a believer enters into the faith, the, the, the Bible says the Spirit of God actually becomes a part of who they are. They, they are working in their life. They enter into their thinking in their mind. They enter into their desires in their heart. They, as they read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is there to help understand and apply the Scripture to us. And so it starts very internal, whereas the fire department might be external. But for the believer, it is to say there is a desire within my heart to worship him. There is a desire within my heart to see his kingdom come, his will be done. That is something that we mutually have. And it doesn't really matter if I know your language or not. If I'm from a different cultural uh, background or not. That, that is uh, irrelevant in comparison to the spirit of God that's working in us. That is why, because there is one spirit that I might have more in common with a believer from a totally different cultural background, maybe even different language. I might have more in common, and I will have more in common with that person than I do from someone who went to high school with me, grew up in the same town I grew up, and lives across the street. I might have, and I do have more in common with a believer in another country than I do with a person who grew up in my culture. Why? Because the Spirit of God makes the difference. He makes the difference. It's driving us. And so biblical unity is built on the truth that there is one Spirit. So if that's the case, the church operates by the Spirit's direction, and I'm going to say not tradition. Okay? The Spirit of God's tradition, a Spirit of God's direction... Not just tradition direction. So how does that play out? Well, let's say we have a a thriving ministry that's worked well for the last 15 years or 20 years or whatever it may be. We come to a point where there's a vacancy in the leadership of that ministry. What do we do? Let's, Let's find out. Hey, get someone... Let's, we got to lead this, and this, this has done well. It's, it's worked well for the last 15 years. Let's someone lead this, and we'll put out a call, and, and, and if no one calls, then we draft someone, you know? Get them in. Hey, let's do this. What if instead there's a vacancy in leadership? We ask, why is there a vacancy in leadership? Why is there a vacancy in leadership? Is it possible the Spirit of God has no longer putting it on someone's heart to lead in that way. Would we be open to entertaining that the Spirit of God might be doing something differently than how it's been done the last 15 years? What will drive that decision? What's been done the last 15 years, or will we be open to the idea that the Spirit of God might be doing something different? Not Not a discredit to what has been done, But if we keep on moving down tradition road, we will no longer have room and people and an opportunity to follow the Spirit of the Lord in what may be new. Tradition is good in that the Spirit of God can work through it. But if we have tradition driving the Spirit of God, then we've lost that we've moved by one Spirit. So if we are united by being built upon the truth that there is one spirit, we must seek together 
leadership and collectively, let the Spirit of God lead us. And that's why we pray what we pray in Ephesians chapter 2, those prayers that you see there. We keep on reading. What else unites us? Biblical unity is built upon the truth that there is one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling. One hope of our calling. And so, again, this is a movement of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That means that we have one final destiny, and we long for it. We all look forward to that final destiny. We, we see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where he talks about how one day we will see him, and we shall see him as he is, and we'll be like him. And anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3, verse 3. Paul alludes to this in, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Uh, He says, as a prayer, he's asking that we pray that we have our eyes of our heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We want to pray for one another that we would all have the same hope. We have to have our eyes enlightened by the Spirit of God for us to have and see that hope. That our greatest desire is to see the Lord's return. That becomes our hope. So is that your hope? Is that what you're thinking, man, I, I long for, I want for that to happen. That, that's what I'm praying for, to say like, like John prays at the end, even so, Lord, come quickly. That as a church, maybe sometimes our desires get divided, our heart gets divided. That's why we need to be together collectively, have our coals brought together and to say, remind each other, the Lord is coming again someday. Let's live accordingly. Let's worship accordingly. Let's serve accordingly. Let's live our life accordingly to the hope that we've been called to. That brings us together. And then we keep on reading. What's the next thing that unifies us? The biblical union is built upon the truth that there is one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling. Now we're going to move from, the, from God the Son to God, uh, God the Spirit to God the Son. One Lord. One Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, and this is what Paul says there. He says, For he himself is our peace, referring to Jesus Christ. Verse 13. He is our peace, who's made us both one, has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. This one is our Lord. He is the only one that can be king to have unity in our life, unity in our church, to say, Jesus is king. And so listen, if there is one Lord, then the predominant question of a unified church is, what is God's will in any given situation as opposed to what is our will? The question every committee must ask. Every leadership group, elders, deacons, teachers, committee members, every single one of us, the The primary question must be, what is God's will in this matter? What is established in the the Word of God? That's why the Word of God matters. There's been a a movement among some Baptist evangelicals. uh, And here's the statement. Um, Doctrine matters. People matter more. I have problems with that statement. 
I get what they're trying to say. It doesn't matter what you believe if you don't love people. And I get that. But you know why I get that? Because that's what doctrine teaches. I get the fact that, that it doesn't matter what I believe if I don't love because I've read 1 Corinthians 13 that says I can give and I can have offerings and I can have all these gifts, but if I don't love, then it's just has a clanging sound. I, I can understand that, but I only understand it because of the Bible. I only have an, a sense of who Jesus is because of the Bible. I only have a sense of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit because of the Word of God. And so when we talk about one Lord, it really does matter that the church understands the authority of God's Word and respects it. That is one of the things that brought me to this church. Is that this church understood that God's Word mattered in the direction and definition of a church. And so why is that important? Because we have one Lord, and the one Lord has spoken and revealed it through his scriptures. We keep on reading. One faith. See this? One Lord, one faith. Now what he's talking about here is not just a personal saving faith, but when he says to faith, he's talking about the doctrine of what we believe, the teaching of the church across time. In fact, you see this in chapter 4, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, referring to the church, attaining to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so what he's talking about here is the corporate aspect of what we believe. What we believe. So let me just throw out a little church history. Um... We have our statement of faith that is on our uh, documents. But these flow from, even more, something called the Apostles' Creed. All right, Apostles' Creed goes way back. Apostles' Creed goes back to the 2nd century. 2nd century as in 100-something, all right? Uh, and so not long after Jesus lived the life and the, and the first eyewitnesses were there, uh, the church came up with this statement of faith that was a kind of an extension of things that you see like in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, uh, where it says, For we believe that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures, was buried and was risen again according to Scriptures. And this is kind of a creedal statement, a statement of faith. Let me just read this to you. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, died, and was buried. Descended into hell. Third day, rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. This is the, not Roman Catholic, but true, in the sense of true church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. The Apostles' Creed. That's something you need to know. You need to be familiar in a statement form of what we believe. This is a summary of the Bible teaching condensed together. <clears throat> Back in the, the 90s, one of my favorite singers, still one of my favorite singers, died in 97, was Rich Mullins. Uh, he wrote a song called The Creed, and basically it was just this uh, statement. 
But in it, he had this little line, I did not make it, but it is making me, is the very word of God. And here's the thing, what we're talking about here is not some human invention, cleverly devised, but it is something from God himself, and in it is life. In it, and believing, and trusting, and adhering to these things, that God moves by the Holy Spirit, gives us life, gives us new direction. It is not just hocus-pocus magic words, but it is, it is supernatural. When we come to trust in that, and believe it, it is one faith. And then he says, one baptism. Again, this is the work of God the Son, creating the faith and working to establish baptism. When Jesus told us to be baptized, he said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be identified. And that's what we mean by baptism, is to say, you now, we all are identified with Jesus Christ. We identify, every single one of us, if we are in the church, if we are bought by God, we are identifying with Jesus' death for us. My sin now is on Jesus' account. And when he died on the cross, I died with him. And coming up out of the water, representing the cleansing aspect of who Jesus' uh, sacrifice did for us, we come up out of the water, identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, I too identify with Jesus' resurrection. Just like he rose again, I will rise again. And that's my hope. That's my future. And when we were baptized, we all are identifying with Jesus, our only hope being identified with him. And so when we say that word baptism, every single one of us who are in the church are saying we identify with Jesus. You identify with Jesus? Yeah, I identify with Jesus too. I mean, you can imagine when firemen get together, and, you know, they talk and they, they talk and tell their stories and, and share. They have a common identity. And so even much more when we are identified with Jesus Christ to say, this is how Jesus is working within us. And so when we share, when we get together, it is an opportunity for us to tell one another how Jesus is working in us. It is a very important part of addressing one another. And sometimes it might be just through song. It might be just how you're living your life and worshiping with a smile on your face. Or maybe that you're coming here and your, your life is in shambles ever the, otherwise, but you know that God is still on the throne. And you, so you come and you, and you share and say, you know what, life is messed up, but God is on the throne. And I want to share that with one another. And it has a lot of different ways of how this works out, but it's to say that Jesus is working in us. And we are identifying with that. Then one God Verse 6, one God and Father of all. So we've got God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Son. Now God the Father in verse 6. He is the Father of all. And so when he says the Father of all, he's, he's talking about the church specifically here. He's not just saying everybody, but those who are in Jesus Christ. He is the Father of all who are in Christ, as this is referring to the church. Now, if that's the case, he is overall. All right, it goes back to the fact that God is the chief shepherd here. We want to pray that every single one of us have God over us, that we are submitted to God. How does that work out in our life? Well, it has something to do with at the end of this chapter, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by submitting to the Spirit of God. That's how we submit. That's how God is over all. Then he says he's through all. That means God is working through you and through me. Can you believe that? God wants to work through you by you being and and sharing with one another, relating to someone, that God can use you as a servant to teach someone else, to inspire someone else, to encourage someone, to convict someone. God is working through the church. Working through the church. And that's why when it's important that you want wisdom in your life and you're seeking counsel and advice on which way you should go, I'm going to ask you, have you considered talking to the church? Why would I talk to the church? There are a bunch of know it all. I know a lot of folks that are smarter than them. Granted, you probably do. But when you can find some people that are submitted to the Spirit of God and will commit to pray for you, about that decision, and give counsel to you about that decision. You are seeking Christ. How can I say that? Because this is the body of Christ, and God is working through the church. Matters of seeking his direction, counsel, maybe strength to obey, maybe trying to decide what is right and wrong in your everyday life. The church plays a part. But notice it says one more thing. In all. God the Father, over all, through all, in all. What does it mean that God is in the body? That means when I serve you, I'm serving God the Father. When I love you, I'm loving God the Father. Isn't that sweet? But difficult? <laughs> It's sweet. God's making it very practical for us. And maybe too practical. It's, it, it's easy to say I love God in, in the abstract. I can sing about it. You know, oh, I love God. You know, But then when it comes to being patient with someone, oh, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that God would be so annoying. <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes, isn't it? Notice something that happens in chapter 4. I notice how 1 through 16 is about the unity of the church. Verse 17, he talks about how we conduct with one another. Verse 25 to 32. Notice what it says. Therefore, therefore, because God is in the church, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have everything, something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. Building up what? Well, building up the body. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed For the day of redemption, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Bitterness toward who? Bitterness toward the people in the body. Be kind to one another. Kind to to the people in the body. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiving who? The people in the body. Well, that means they're going to sin against you. Yes. Yes, they will. Because... It's not just God the Spirit working. There's also man the flesh working together. The church is kind of a, its own incarnation. Think about that. The church is an incarnation of God. That's why Jesus calls it the body. 
And as such, we have the mixture of spiritual will and human will. And sometimes human will will prevail and sin against someone. In that moment, we pray that God the Spirit would prevail and bring greater glory that where sins abound, grace much more abounds. And when that happens, it looks like forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. You know, it's amazing how our bodies work. Every human cell, operating under direction of the designer who made your body. Every human cell. It is incredible, all those cells that are in your body. But every once in a while, a cell kind of mutinies against the design of the body. Kind of has its own thoughts and own design, plans. And not only that, it starts spreading to other cells. As long as those other cells kind of stay in a a tight circle and and remain within its boundary, it's just called a tumor. But when those cells breach those membranes and goes beyond, reproducing, reproducing, it's called cancer. And the white blood cells is not designed to attack its own body to fight it off. And it spreads. But every once in a while, it even gets into the white blood cells. Those white blood cells are meant to protect and, and ward off the sicknesses and diseases. And when that happens, then it overloads your lymph nodes and everything else because it's cancer. And as everyone knows, cancer kills. Because the cells no longer operate according to the design and health of the body and reproduces. As a church, individually, we must seek our spirit to be submitted to God. Because there's only one Lord. One Lord. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to work in our life. To give us one hope, one spirit. To make us one body, interdependent on one another. That we would lift up our one faith and make sure that is what ties us, not other things. And that we have one identity and our one baptism to the glory of God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Let's make that true for Green Pines. He would be God over all, through all, and in all. And that requires the prayers of Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. Let's pray.